Hey everyone, that was Ilion. I am Bo Ransdell, and this is Hero Hero Go Show, now with 100% more fetuses. Fetus I, one of those. On the show today, a nasty slasher with the rather misleading title Evil Dead Trap. Released in Japan as Shirio Noana in 1988, it is referred to in some circles as the first modern horror film of Japan, borrowing, borrowing uh, he corrects himself, liberally from Western tropes to craft something that is uniquely Japanese. Here to spring this particular trap along with me is Richard Glenschmidt of Hello, This is the Doom Show, and you can read more from Richard at doomedmoviethon.com, as well as on Amazon, where you can find his works Giallo Meltdown and Cinema Somnambulist, and you'll find links to those titles on the webpage over at legionpodcasts.com. And last, uh, but also least, he is my co-conspirator in a scathing indictment of corporate greed disguised as looks at the myriad sequels to a little movie called Tomie. Richard, welcome back to the show and uh, tell me what I got wrong as always. Oh man, thank you. Uh, glad to be back. I think everything you said was true? It's the, I mean, I I, the indictment of corporate greed, isn't it? I just loved all of it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, we can wrap the show up right there. The yeah. Evil Dead Trap was perfect, and <laughs> everybody had a good time. Uh, no, the reason you in particular, I, I, I am glad you are doing this show, um, you might detect uh, within the film Evil Dead Trap uh, similarities to films that you are, are passionate about. Um, I don't know if you noticed <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. There are, are typical, uh, stereotypical musical uh, beats as well as lighting that might suggest uh, a certain type of film. Um, but uh, before we get into that, some bona fides. Uh, Evil Dead Trap is directed by uh, Toshiharu Ikeda and uh, was written by Takashi Ishii. Uh, Ikeda is a... Um, a director who at, at this point was mostly known for his forays into, uh, pink cinema, which, uh, is, is code for sexy. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, he, oh. right. So he had done, uh, movies like, uh, sex hunter, for example, um and uh, uh there's a series of uh films that he did oh geez i can't remember what the english cognate of it was but um they were uh, uh niketsu hokagu kurabu um and they were uh also uh sexy time videos <laughs> and uh so it, it this was his first foray into uh into horror films he claimed uh, t uh, as of 2005, to have never seen horror movies that he did not care for them, uh, and, and that any I don't know suggested influences in this film are are purely accidental. Uh, that seems <clears throat> a, a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, blame it on the production designer. I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Evil Dead Trap, uh, it sounds like it is uh, going to be a supernatural movie, and it kind of is, but not 
not like the title uh, would suggest, as I said. It, when I, you know, you hear the words Evil Dead and you immediately think of the Raimi films and you throw a little trap on there and that just sounds like a weird Japanese twist on, uh, you know, a ripoff of Evil Dead possibly. And, uh, but it's not that at all. Uh, it, it's certainly not at first anyway. Um, so what we will, uh, we will do is kind of wander, uh, through the plot here, but, but first, uh, w- how, how many times have you seen this movie or is this like, a, uh, was this a first time view for you? Do you know Evil Dead Trap? Uh, this is, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, this is my second viewing. Um, for some reason I've seen the vaguely related sequel evil dead trap Two, a bunch more i have no idea why yeah that's weird i i'm strange um i do know this director he directed uh shadow of the wraith uh aka iku sudunama which is a big hit in our house because it's stupid (laughs) that seems so unlike uh the the director of this film (laughs) it's a horror film that's supposed to uh, uh promote a band uh, and the band in it is uh, quite bad. I'm trying to remember the name of the band. It, it, Doggy Bag. It's Doggy Bag. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And uh, much like the film, it's uh, – they're a doggy bag? I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a joke there. But uh, Evil Dead Trap, I always remember this movie as being really strange and rapey. But I really liked it. And watching it – as a uh, for the second time for this episode, I think I like this movie a lot more than I did the first time. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. It was, it, this was one of those movies when I first, you know, started putting the, together the the show uh, for the first season. That it was one of those movies that people brought up a number of times. Like, you know, please talk about Evil Dead Trap <laughs> and. Uh, I had seen it and I was kind of like weirdly in the same place where I remembered the rape scene more than almost anything else uh, in the movie. And even watching it for, for the show again, uh, a couple of times it it, like that scene still sticks out. It's such a weird, it it, it, we'll get to it, but it's a weird scene. Yeah. And it like, it's uncomfortable to watch, but even the elements of the scene are really strange. Uh, but let's let's let uh, the 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 pickup truck rape or the van rape scene sit for a second, and we'll come back to it. <laughs> so uh, the the movie begins with uh, a conversation between two characters that you don't see uh, as we are watching them watching television. In this case, it's a late night show. Uh, for yeah, people with insomnia is how it's pitched by our our heroine Nami, um, and it, yeah, it's just a late night kind of news program. And uh, after we hear the two creepy voices talking about how much Nami looks like uh, their mother, um, which already lets you know that you're probably dealing with uh, uh, psychologically unstable people. If anytime you look at a, a news reporter and and say she looks like mom and one of the voices is that of a child <laughs> uh, yeah you're probably in dangerous if not supernatural territory especially when they pause the show to 
highlight her terrified face and the terrified face specifically is what reminds them of their mother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, everybody's got their own Thanksgivings, but um, (laughs) yeah, it's not the basis for a relationship that you feel is going to work. So Nami gets a videotape in the mail and, and oh, here's one thing I, I like about Nami already is that, uh, before she wraps up the show, she kind of busts on all the viewers for not sending in good videos. Uh, and I, I, I like her pointing the finger like, hey, we'd show you more videos, but you guys kind of suck. And uh, in response, she does get a video in the mail. Um, and it turns out to be what appears uh, as a snuff film. Yeah. And already we start to hear this very... Uh, familiar synth score. If you are at all familiar with the works of anyone with an Italian last name that has been in horror in say the past 30 years. Big time. Oh man. (laughs) It's, it should have been goblin listed on the soundtrack. Totally. (laughs) This would be like, uh, goblin by way of, uh, the Tokyo underground synth scene. If I don't even know if there is one, I hope there is probably. Yeah, I would, I would guess so. And, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, as soon as you hear this music and, and also in the snuff film, you actually see uh, a a poor young lady's eye get pierced. Oh, doctor. And (laughs) yeah, uh, I'm afraid so. Um, That eye is never going to be the same, but it is, (laughs) I, I mean, again, I know Ikeda said he never saw a horror movie, but it is the Fulci scene uh, totally. from, from Zombie. Um, the lighting is is very gialli. So is the music. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a gialli film. Uh, Absolutely. For a good portion. And then it takes a hard left turn into Weirdsville. Um, but so, so we get this snuff tape and Nami... Uh, wants to go investigate. And her producer is like, hey, we ain't got the money for that. And also, that sounds kind of dangerous. To his credit, uh, does point that out. And Nami is undeterred, and he says, look, if you want to go do it, I'm not going to stop you, but we're not going to pay for it, and I'm not going to help you. And, uh, you know, being a good guy and all. And so Nami decides she's going to go anyway, and she takes uh, her, uh, her, her script writer for no good reason. Um, then uh, Ray is, is what her photographer, uh, Masako Kondu, who is, uh, I think, a segment producer or something. Uh, but he's just an idiot. He's the one guy that goes. Oh, boy. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, so Masako, and I, I just can't remember what Ray does, but so uh, Ria is the, uh, the no, Ray is the scriptwriter and Ria uh, does something else. Anyway, doesn't matter. So these four girls decide they're going to go with um, Nami and take uh, Kondu uh, with them. Uh, he's going to be their chaperone, I guess. And I, I will say that unlike a lot of, uh, Japanese horror films that had come before, this does at least present like the women in the film as being professional women. And they have some discussion of like, you know, it's hard to make it in a man's world and stuff like that. So it's, I mean, it seems very quaint now, but that's fairly progressive for 
for Japanese cinema in 1988. Oh, and the guy's real dumb. Kondo is just real dumb. Uh, in in my notes, until I, I caught his name again, uh, I just refer to him as the doofus. And <laughs> and that's what he is. He, he is. Uh, and then we are treated like, all right, so they, they go to the, the, the place where they believe the uh, video was filmed. And immediately they all kind of part ways to go look around and try to find a match for the building that you see in the video. And Ray and Kandu uh, take off on their own. And it turns out that they are uh, in a relationship of some kind. Uh, although he, uh, le- he's apologizing for the fact that he couldn't get it up the night before. <laughs> That's so Kandu, you know, oh, uh, totally. it's classic Kandu. Just... What, what does she say to him? Stop talking about your penis. Yeah. Which is really <laughs> funny. Ray, Ray's kind of a sassy gal, but then mm-hmm. uh, once they they get inside, he's like, "Come on, I'm ready to go. Like, I, I, I've I've got a boner now. We're good. You know, we have a green light." And uh, by the way, this podcast is for mature audiences only. So, <laughs> uh, so he's got a boner and is trying to sweet talk her into having sex, and I guess it works. And so there is a, a fairly extended and, and graphic sex scene. Uh, with Ray and Kantu. And uh, interesting note about this, the uh, in the film was originally set to star uh, the girl who played Ray. Let me find her name real quick. Mm. Um, yeah, Eriko Nakagawa. Or I'm sorry, Hitomi Kobayashi. There, uh, there, there's a Ray and there's a Rie. Uh, so Ray uh, is played by Hitomi Kobayashi. Um, it was originally intended to be a vehicle for her that's a little more mainstream than the pink films that she was doing. And then Akeda wasn't sure that she had the acting chops to pull off the, the lead role, so he busted her down to the part of Ray, and then, of course, cast uh, Miyoki Ono uh, in the role of Nami. So uh, there are, like... The scenes that are very explicitly, you know, sexy times in in this film, uh, there's a reason for that. Like, this movie has its roots in, <laughs> in you know, Japanese porn cinema. Uh, you know, it's made by people from that world. And they, you know, they say that um, when people complain or, or point out the explicit nature of the sex in this film... Uh, they're like, well, you know, at the time, all even the Western movies had boob shots and all that stuff. They were just doing it in a more explicit manner, um, which I, I see the argument they're making of like, oh, no, it's just what you're doing, only more of it. Um, but I think there's also that, you know, a little bit of a cultural uh, difference there because, you know, sex isn't quite as taboo. Um Culturally speaking, there's not the Judeo-Christian hangups uh, completely like there are in in the West when it comes to having people doing it. In, in well, movies. it's it's no entrails of a virgin. It is not. Uh, which I mean, talk <laughs> about kissing cousin mo- movies. Oh, We're gonna oh, oh boy. At some point, that's <laughs> gonna come up on this show because it it's one of those movies I feel like you kind of got to talk about in in the context of things. Yeah, but and keep the fast forward button ready. Yeah, yeah, that that's a 
that's a, a nasty, nasty little movie. Um, but yeah, so Evil Dead Trap, it, it, it does get, I mean, when we say that the sex is explicit, it's not like you're seeing penetration or anything, but the scenes run a little long. <laughs> and, yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, gasping and groping and, and whatnot. So no pixelization no required. No, pixelization no, no. pixelation there you go one of those <laughs> something pixelized uh, words <laughs> right none of that happens um so yeah so they end up uh doing it in in you know in typical horror movie fashion in a place that no one ever would under any circumstances <laughs> and uh so we cut away from them and then nami is uh off on her own and uh, finds a dead bird being eaten by maggots, which we get a close-up of. Uh, that's always enjoyable. And then uh, she runs afoul of a character that could have come from a Resident Evil gang game. Uh, it's a, just a, a stranger smoking with sunglasses uh, in kind of a suit, but also wearing <laughs> sandals, which is a tough look to pull off. <laughs> and, now, does he? I'm not saying I'm, I'm saying it's a tough look to pull off. He does. He does it in that he does it, but does he do it? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you be the judge. Everyone has their own style. Uh, but he and he very cryptically tells her, and this is also very Gialli, the you know the stranger who is smoking with his back against the wall to uh, tell the young ingenue, the heroine, you know, uh, cryptic things. And in this case, he's like, you you ought to watch out. You shouldn't be here. But I'm looking for somebody, so I can't leave. And and then he just kind of screws off. And and Nami, being the good investigator that she is, kind of half-ass chases him and then gives up pretty quick. And it's just like, oh, I guess he'll turn up later. Um, here in this, you know, industrial wasteland in the middle of nowhere that's not on a map. Um and a lot of bad decisions, I think, being made. But... Yeah, which we followed the directions from a a kill tape right from a snuff film we're out here to find <laughs> the guy who made a snuff film and find out if it's real or not uh yeah there's again a lot of stupidity going into the decision making process here so then we go back to ray and and Kondu, uh investigating around now that they've got their business sorted out mm. and ray uh is, is looking around she can't find Kondu. then she Steps on as or almost steps on a snake, which raises up and goes a little bit up her skirt and then takes off. I I gotta feel like there's some sort of symbolism there. Mm. And then Kondu jumps out and scares her because he's an asshole. I like the vampire teeth. That was a good touch. Right, like fifty cent vampire teeth, and he just <laughs> and then Ray kind of kicks the shit out of him, which is great. Um and so we uh we're also uh rolling around with uh Masako uh and Ria who is the the photographer and they find the uh place from the videotape like the actual uh structure uh from the the snuff film and uh so Masako uh hangs out while uh Ria goes to let everyone know like hey we found we found the spot also there's a surprise ball gag guy 
uh, for no good reason in this movie. Um, we find that there is uh, the killer, uh, who is, again, very, very jolly attired uh, in kind of a raincoat and some mask uh, over his face. Oh, yeah. The, and, the camouflage hunter kind of a get-up soldier or whatever. Right, right. And he's got a pit where he's got a guy with a ball gag, uh, you know, like you do, I guess. Uh, He'll be our gimp for this evening. Right. The The part of the gimp will be played by uh, this gentleman. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the moments in the movie where it's like, who did what now? Uh, what's going on? Why is this guy here? Uh, I don't know that we ever get an explanation for that, but that's okay. Um, By the way, so post-sex, Ray tries to take a shower or wash herself off in a shower room that in in this abandoned joint. Like, I don't know what her end game was here. I don't know that she expected, you know, real running water. But anyway, it turns out there are maggots on the ceiling, Uh, you know. Again, li- like you do. And she she ends up uh, like running to get away from the falling maggots, runs into some lockers, out comes the corpse of the girl in the video, and Ray falls back into a chair screaming. Oh, man. And <laughs> uh, then up comes a pole from the floor, impaling Ray... And she does the kind of wiggle and, and, and you know, what sucking sounds. But that's not enough, Richard. <laughs> In comes the second pole from a different angle, and uh, that skewers her as well. And because, you know, comedy comes in threes, I guess, uh, we get a third pole uh, from another angle that uh, murders her to death. Uh, hey, Bo, I don't think she's going to make it. You know, one pole, maybe. <laughs> Two poles, eh, third pole. You're pushing it. Yeah. You're pushing it. <laughs> yeah, the third pole, you're done. You're all in at that point. Uh, and it's it's gruesome. Like, it's a... Yeah. It, uh, by the way, the special effects guy for this film um, later went on to do uh, some of the Godzilla suits in the ah. later movies. Yeah. Nice. So this was kind of a showcase for him. And and the practical, practical effects are pretty good uh, for the most part in this movie. Um, a little garish, but they're all right. Um, so after Ray gets uh, pulled to death, um, the rest of our Scooby gang goes to investigate the house of murder that has been discovered. And uh, at once they get in the building, uh, we have a dolly zoom down a hallway that is lit with blue. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And then. Uh, then Ray comes like uh, sliding in from the ceiling on a hook. Holy shit. And, and it's pretty great. And then, you know, everybody is now aware like, Oh, we have an actual murderer on our hands and they're running around. Who would have that? That part scared me. It's good. It's really good. (sighs) Ah, and, and that's the thing about this movie is that for all the dumb shit, they're like the kill sequences are, are disturbing and fairly memorable. And then you have the weirdo ending that were are the turn, not even ending. Like we're, <laughs> we're getting to a point where this movie is like, okay, we've done the slasher movie. Now let's do something else. Um, 
But uh, so Rhea, uh, different from Ray, Rhea goes uh, running for police. While the remaining trio runs into the killer, there's some sort of weird, uh, like, um, uh, earthquake kind of thing. Like, the place just starts falling in. And so Nami and Kandu end up together. And Masako is left uh, upstairs in one of my favorite uh, scenes from the movie where she's just using the uh, camera flash to navigate. Yeah. And so she's looking around via her her flash. And then we cut to uh, Rhea, who jumps in the car uh, or the van that they've all come in. And she's about to take off when, surprise, surprise, ball gag dude shows up. Uh, Because as an audience, we're left wondering, hey, whatever happened to that guy with the ball gag? It it turns out he is... um, like extremely rapey, I guess is a conservative way to put it. And so he attacks Rhea and he starts like, he starts choking her, but there's also the implication that he, you know, he's kind of positioning himself. And then we cut away from that. And, and at first you think like, Oh, okay, I guess it's assumed that he's going to kill her, and that's all going to happen off-screen. Because then we cut to uh, Masako, who is barricading herself, like has caught a glimpse of the killer, and is barricading herself inside a room. And so we think we're on that track, but no, no, no. Because then we cut back to the the van, and this time Ballgag Guy is fully on top of Rhea. And is clearly raping her. Yeah, he says that he has to do this, that he's under orders to kill her. And he says, but I'm going to take my time and make it slow. And what he was really saying was, I'm going to alienate everyone watching this movie by raping you forever. Right. And the scene goes on for a long time and she's clearly Mm. like struggling. But she's also asking him questions and stuff and it's weird that like a conversation is happening and it's like i know you're raping me right now and this is horrifying to everyone watching it but let's forward a little exposition while we can too because it's this scene where we learn that there are two killers and you know because ball gag guy kind of lets it slip like there there are two they're one in the same and all that stuff and it is so so uncomfortable uh mm. to watch it it is truly one of the scenes and again they're like from a cultural point of view it's not crazy to have this scene in there because you know we, we talked about this a, a, a while back on on uh, uh, one of the season one episodes but like japan's uh version of the mpaa didn't allow uh like shots of penetration and 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 like naked genitals and stuff like that but violence against women was kind of fine and that's why there are so many like weirdo japanese bondage videos and shit like that that's why it's a trope because you could get away with it and you just you couldn't show just straight on fucking so so you know that's how the japanese got around and so for there to be this kind of 
scene in the middle of this movie that is incredibly uncomfortable to watch, you know, through Western eyes, I don't think it had the same impact for a Japanese audience. I don't I don't think it was as big a deal, which is I, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be a big deal. I'm just saying culturally, I don't think it was. Yeah, it's like the grindhouse era of cinema where everyone's like, well, we got to have sex, we got to have violence, and people would get bored and mix the two, and either they were mixing the two because they literally enjoyed making a scene with lots of rape, or uh, they were trying to make a statement, unlikely, or it was like, uh, just filler, you know? And so when you're watching a bunch of these movies, a great example of a perfectly wonderful Japanese horror film that is essentially ruined by the overuse of rape is Crazy Lips, which I don't know if you've seen Crazy Lips. I have not seen Crazy Lips. but Oh, it's it, great. Except but for all the rape. It is crippled by the rape scenes. It is such a fun, utterly batshit movie that... It's just it's depressing because you have to start staring at the ceiling or staring at the floor or fast forwarding. You know, it's who right. who wants to confront that during an entertaining film? And that's the same thing that happens here. And this director is a damn weirdo. So who knows what he wanted? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, you can certainly read some subtext in here about like, you know, the subjugation of professional women and so yeah, forth. Absolutely. You you can make that argument, but as as you sarcastically put it, you know, unlikely. Um <laughs> it it could just be that Akato was was doing that thing of like, oh yeah, I can have this scene serves triple purpose. It gives me some violence and 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 heightens the fright factor. Um, it gives the exposition that I needed to, and also boobies, and hey. and there's just not the connection of like the violence and and the boobies uh, is is kind of a problem. That's where mm. it gets creepy. So exactly. Um, at any rate, and even even earlier, the scene with Ray and Condu, there is kind of a, that element of him being a little grabby and her resisting. Totally, and yeah. I mean, I. It's it's hard to call that rape, but it's certainly the guy being forceful, you know, when and and the girl being resistant, and this is clearly the much more extreme version of that. So, um, but I guess we get some uh, cold comfort in the fact that um, the guy on top of uh, Ria gets lassoed, um, or no, he gets murdered just with the knife. Yeah. Uh, and then Riyadh gets lassoed with the metal wire and, and then yanked from the car. And I kind of, and, and the, again, that's, it's a rough scene. Like if, if there hadn't been the rape, it would have been a really effective kill scene. Totally. But as a result of the scene that immediately precedes it, uh, then it just feels like, oh my God, what they're doing to this poor woman. Yeah. Is... And they, they don't make the rapist suffer nearly enough. Like, Right. She she dies much worse than he does. He dies almost instantly. She gets to go for a ride on that noose. Yeah, she's like getting pulled out of the car, over the car, you it's know, with metal. Face. Yeah, and again, super effective death scene if it weren't for how like vulnerable this character had already been. Yeah. 
you know it feels like kicking the character when uh when they're down um so then we have uh masako uh who's barricaded in the the house of murder and she turns around and oops there's the killer and she tries to get away and he has the knife in hand and she actually grabs the knife during their struggle and in a scene that almost makes up for the horrifying rape scene earlier just for sheer like you know chewing a fork kind of shivers up your spine she she uh uh masako has the knife in her hand and she's gripping it accidental like and the killer just slowly pulls it out of her closed fist I thought fingers were coming off, man. I, I I did too. There's that moment where she opens up her palm and it's just like ah, you know. Uh, uh, and I felt it too. I was I was on board. I was like, that's she, horrible. She loses the will to live for a second there. Not just a second, because her next move is just to pass the fuck out. I it's, can't live without my hand. Right, or just my like palm. look look at all this blood. You know what kind of scar that's gonna leave. And then is gone. She's over like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> and and then we go back to Nami, uh, who is uh, on the roof inexplicably. And she kicks something and then realizes, oh, that's Kondu's head. Uh, and we don't see what happens to him, but eh, I'm kind of fine with that. As long as there's a decapitated head, I feel like justice has been done. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, it, it was at this point um, where where the weirdo sandals guy uh, shows back up and uh, is like, "Hey, you got to come with me." And the whole time, I can't concentrate on that because I'm like, "So, why did they kill the guy with the ball gag?" Like, I understand he was raping her, but was that it? I mean, hmm. if he was sent, if he was telling the truth and was actually sent to kill her, then what do they care? And I don't know. Maybe he was doing a bad job of it. He was taking too long. Were they paying him by the hour, by the kill? I got a lot of questions about what happened with Ball Gag Guy. That whole character is just a series of question marks for me. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing there. I don't know why he was killing the girl. I don't know why they killed him because he was killing the girl. I don't know any hmm. of that. So it's haunting me. Um <laughs> <laughs> sorry to drag you into that personal hell we'll get through this together yeah yeah it i i don't get it but you are not alone <laughs> ball gag guys for you we have made it nearly two seasons without getting too sexy but that time has passed it is time to look at the Japanese porn scene. So gather the kids and family around your listening device and let's get naughty. There isn't really a precise comparison to what has become known as the pink film in Japan. The EIRIN, the equivalent of the United States MPAA, a body to create and enforce film standards of decency, had ruled that no pubic hair or exposed genitals could be shown theatrically. So, unlike the pornography of the West, even these films would be pixelated or fogged to high genitals when exposed. Most directors chose to use carefully placed plants or furniture to obscure the objectionable elements, 
but it creates an interesting creative problem. How do you make a sex movie when you can't really show sex? One of the reasons that the Pinku Iega movies, as they were called in their home country, are so distinct from anything you'll find in the West is this reason. Directors had to get inventive and tell stories that captured the imagination instead of the more primitive method of simply showing two human beings copulating. The first introductions of sexual material began to filter into Japan in post-World War II society. The first kiss on screen came in 1946, and boundaries and bikini tops were stretched further in a series of female pearl diver movies directed by the Shintoho production company starring Michiko Maeda, a famously busty actress. In 1956, Ko Nakahira released a movie entitled Crazed Fruit, which, while not exactly explicit, dealt in surprisingly frank terms with the notion of the youth rock culture and the accompanying freewheeling sexuality. Like the rest of the world, though, Japan really became cool with nudity in films when Western movies like Ingmar Bergman's Summer with Monica and Russ Meyer's The Immoral Mr. Tease in 1953 and 1959, respectively, opened the door for nudity to appear on screen in the context of a, quote, serious film. The first true pink film is generally attributed to Satoru Kobayashi's Flesh Market, made for only 8 million yen, and it earned over 100 million yen. Sort of a Blair Witch Project of its day, only smutty. There was gold in them thar hills. This success created a veritable explosion of similar films, and the pink film wave exploded throughout the 60s along with it. Perhaps the best of these independent studios cropping up was the Wakamatsu Studios, led by Koji Wakamatsu. His films, in addition to being sexually charged, were also incredibly political. Movies like The Embryo Hunts in Secret and Violated Angels and Go Go Second Time Virgin deal in a strikingly frank manner about violence and misogyny. While these movies were largely indies in the 60s, with home video starting to take hold and Western films crowding out native features, the big Japanese studios turned a leering eye to the successful pink movies of their smaller cousins in the 1970s. Toei and Nikatsu were perhaps the largest studios to fully embrace this new paradigm. Toei produced several series of female revenge and prison movies that contained a balance of sadomasochism and rape and sexual abandon that's unsettling to this day. The fact that some of the more disturbing parts of these movies are played for laughs is, well, unfortunate. But it should come as no surprise to regular listeners of this show to discover that much of the solution to major studios' problem of losing market share was to show a parade of women being abused, confined, bound, and used sexually. All through the 70s, major studios were churning out high-budget pink films and giving their directors an insane degree of creative freedom. The result is some truly fascinating film, like Masaru Konamu's Flower and Snake. These were bold, audacious, often uncomfortable films that were labeled Iro Goru, or blends of the erotic and the grotesque. S&M was big, and even Italian predilections like the Nunsploitation films were eventually co-opted and turned into movies like The Surreal School of the Holy Beast, a movie I can actually recommend to you, even though it's dirty. In the 1980s, though, our old pal the EIRIN reared its head and delivered new restrictions for theatrical releases. That's no problem for the indie producers, who started finding a new market for their low-budget, hastily assembled pink movies, but the big studios saw a sharp decline in profits. 
Nikatsu shuttered its pink film division entirely, while others found new life in other genres, notably horror. And yet, the pink film is made to this day. Theatrically released, sexually explicit films, which are again in the hands of a handful of auteurs, as well as those looking to make a quick buck. Some have eschewed the requirements of a certain number of sex scenes in pink films to tell even more dark and complicated stories, but the basics of the subgenre remain as a living history of Japanese cinema. If you're looking for more on this subject, and it's an incredibly broad, fascinating subject, I can recommend David Desser's Eros Plus Massacre, an introduction to the Japanese New Wave, and Jasper Sharp's Behind the Pink Curtain. These movies are wholly unlike anything we have in the West and offer a tremendous window into the cultural mores of Japan from the 60s to present day. And now, on with telekinetic babies. So, Weirdo Sandals guy um, is, uh, like, hanging out with Nami and, and he is presented as if he is the, uh, you know kind of protagonist that are the not the final girl but the guy that's going to help the final girl get to the place but he's also spooky enough and also wearing sandals with the suit and there's all kinds of suspicious stuff about this guy and he starts yelling uh at hideki uh in a stairwell and fires off a couple of shots because he's got a gun and then disappears for a while and then, welcome to the movie, Dutch Angle, because we get a bunch of that. And so so we follow Nami, and, and the stranger is gone. Nami's wandering around on her own, and she starts hearing uh, Masako, who had passed out earlier. And she finds a bank of televisions that has Masako all dolled up uh, and begging for help. Oh, man. It's really good. So, like, it's like David Lynch did the makeup for this scene. Yes, yes. I've it... got an idea that'll spice up your movie. That's my David Lynch impression. Do you guys know Kabuki? That's mine. You have any Kanoa? <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. I, I, I weirdly love that guy. Uh, I've been in David Lynch land a long, long time. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Have you tried meditation? <laughs> but seriously. Oh, he's so good. Uh, so in a series of Dutch angles, um, because it's it's like the movie discovered them and then never used them again. Like there's one sequence that's all Dutch angles and then it just stops and goes away. Because uh, Ikeda it can't make up his mind about anything. The, <laughs> but But this leads to probably the coolest series of events of the movie where we realize that um, uh, Nami has found the room Masako is in she's struggling to get the door open and then there's this incredibly long shot where you follow this uh, metal wire that is strung from the handle of the door to a crossbow the trigger of a crossbow that is aimed at Masako, who is tied to, you know, kind of a circus platform almost. It looks like one of those things. Just, you know, uh, tied to a pole. And the more, you know, uh, Nami struggles to get the door open, 
the the more we see the trigger start to pull back and we we believe we know what is coming Except Nami busts into the room, Masako moves her head at the last moment, and the crossbow does fire, but it just hits uh, the the pillar that she is uh, tied to and doesn't kill Masako. And we're like, all right, finally, this movie has something good to say about people. And then Nami rushes towards her friend, and it turns out there's a tripwire, and said tripwire uh, unleashes this kind of machete blade that smacks Masako in the side of the skull. Oh my god. Uh, Jason Voorhees couldn't make it, but he sent his giant machete. <laughs> Holy crap. I love the double whammy trap, man. That's so fun. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, uh, the, like, that death scene in particular is like to me the best of what Evil Dead Trap can be, because it's really stylish, it's really yeah. tense. The lighting's great. The camera work is great. It's it's just a great horror movie scene. And then you realize, like, oh, everybody's dead now except for Nami. And there's how long left in this movie? <laughs> because because what you would think is that you're at the one hour mark of a ninety minute film. Uh, maybe hour ten. Yeah, I think it's 100 minute. Yeah, and this movie is an hour 40, and you're at the 45 minute mark <laughs> oh, when Masako takes it in the skull. And yeah, and it, it, there is that moment of like, where is this movie going to go for the next 40 minutes? And it decides to go to Crazy Town. Uh, so uh, the stranger shows back up. And it's like, hey, I got to get you out of here. And I know a secret way out of here through these tunnels. And you see that he's got this thing where uh, he doesn't feel fire uh, as he's holding a, a, a Zippo to light their way. And he's just acting generally creepy. Like there is weird. Yeah, there's there is absolutely something up with th- this guy who is helping uh, Nami and then he Fred Sanford's in the tunnel where he's like oh I got this pain go on without me Elizabeth and Nami <laughs> uh, has to uh, she's like Nante because she's never seen uh, Sanford and son and doesn't know what he's saying so she uh, she ends up running out of the tunnels and makes her way into the woods and and theoretically to freedom uh, meanwhile, our stranger has made it back into kind of the bowels of uh, the murder house and is putting on makeup like you do uh, mm. to throw suspicion off <laughs> to to creepily put on makeup. That'll that'll let everyone know that you're on the up and up. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately trust this man. <laughs> right. I like the fact that he looks like he is uh, in an off Broadway version of The Lion King. Um, it, you know, he's got the white whiskers and then the line right down the nose. It looks good. So Nami has uh, a crisis of conscious, uh, conscience, um, on her way out because she realizes like, because of her, because she insisted on going to this place, uh, all her friends are dead. Uh, and she's not wrong. 
uh, <laughs> on that level, she is absolutely 100% responsible for the deaths of her friends. Um, so she resolves that uh, she has the gun that the stranger uh, gave to her. And she resolves she's going to go back to the tunnels and finish this one way or, or, or the other. And, uh, and so she does. And that's where we get into what I would call the evil dead trap version of the end of the movie phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> where, oh, man. <laughs> where, and honestly, I know we're throwing around a lot of Argento references. On oh, the, we have to. Yeah. It's just what this movie is. Uh, like, t- take the ending of phenomena and a dash of the bonkers ending uh, tangent from opera mm-hmm. and ta-da evil dead trap yeah and i mean you can throw in a little bit of alien uh in in parts of this as well um oh, although the one i leapt to was the manitou that says awful <laughs> things about me oh no it says wonderful things about you <laughs> we're like hey it's like the thing bubbling up on the neck in the manitou uh <laughs> said no yes, one ever <laughs> Oh, that movie. All right. Um, I wish that were Asian uh, and we would talk about it on this show. Uh, we may do it anyway because that movie is so dumb. Uh, yeah, come, come over to Doom Show. We'll do it. All right. It's a date. I, I, could, I could do Manitou. Um, <laughs> Manitou and Grizzly is a good double feature, by the way. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. You want to have yourself a good Sunday? That's yeah. it, son. Bring um, your bazooka. <laughs> oh, Richard Jekyll in Grizzly is one of my favorite things that has ever been. Uh, I mean, Richard Jekyll in almost anything, but in Grizzly in particular. Uh, what, the, what the hell is going on in Evil Dead Trap? Oh, yeah. So Nami has gone back <laughs> into the building, and we get uh, the final reveal. And granted, this is all taking place over 40 minutes. This is why, before we started the show, you said this is a movie that doesn't know when to stop. Yes. I would argue that if you trimmed 20 minutes of total filler out of the the sequence, uh, like, leave everything as is up to and including Masako's death, and then you trim 20 minutes out of the remaining runtime, and you got yourself a, a tight little weirdo ending. Exactly. Because this meanders a bit too much, because there's a, a little too much uh, philosophizing from the stranger when we get the reveal that yes he had a brother named uh hideki who is not uh precisely dead um he is instead uh a quado that lives on on his side uh who also happens to be telekinetic uh because you know obviously if you're going to have a half-baked embryo on on your side, it's probably going to develop some ESP uh, somewhere along the way. Um, and yeah, so we have like this scene where it births itself from uh, the stranger, uh, the, the fully formed brother. And then it just starts whipping around the room and we get fetus oh cam <laughs> where it's where the fetus is just flying around after Nami and also apparently um, creating and setting off flash pots at, at whim. Oh my God. 
And, and then, as if the movie said, "You think that's weird?" Uh, our 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 stranger character, the the brother who has been shot, has begged for death from Nami so that uh, Hideki, the telekinetic embryo, would not be loosed upon the world. Uh, I'll be damned if he doesn't get his hands on this uh, telekinetic embryo and crams it back inside his own body, like a boss. I I. Literally, my notes are, he pushes the embryo back inside himself, dot, 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 baller. So, (laughs) I think we have a consensus that this is one of the most awesome things you can do with your telekinetic embryo sibling, (laughs) is to push it back inside yourself once it's been freed. And this was just the 1980s. (laughs) Right. The advances in uh, telekinetic friggin' baby bros hadn't come as far as it has today yeah uh you know whatever <laughs> it's it's moore's law every 10 years the power of a telekinetic embryo doubles um or it's every four <laughs> years i guess so uh so yeah the, the 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 stranger says like you gotta kill me um he ends up being stabbed then shot and then set on fire uh what we call in the business triple dead yeah except he's not uh because he he bounces back up and he leaves uh an ash stained handprint on nami's neck assumedly infecting her uh when we get to the end of this film uh, because we almost do a howling, we come we come so close to a howling. Ending. Oh, that would have been great. It, it's like it is one scene too long to get the ending we really needed. <laughs> but uh, so we we cut back to uh, Nami. It's it, it's her in a hospital. Everything's over and done. Um, they they say we found no trace of this Hideki character. Uh, this telekinetic embryo that you talked about and also you're probably hysterical lady so we didn't take it all that seriously Um, but we did find the other guy and you know he's certainly dead and so then we go to Nami um, who is now back on the beat has has aired her story um, about uh, the events of the the murders and and, and pays respect to her friends and everything and all is right with the world. Except she gets a package while she's on it. And I don't think it's any surprise that the package is videotape. And uh, what follows is the kind of reveal, I guess. It's not really explained, but I guess we can infer from the events of the film that Nami was infected with the Hideki whatever uh, <laughs> spirit, the Manitou. Um, when uh, the brother, you know, in a last gasp, left the fingerprints uh, on her. And anyway, she starts to, uh, you know, basically squirm. Her her belly is distended, and out comes the Hideki embryo uh, out of her, you know, exploded (laughs) belly. And, oh, God. and the last moment of the movie is the the newly born telekinetic 
Hideki embryo saying, Mama. <laughs> so did Hideki Tomie Nami? Is that what you're saying? I Yeah, Hideki Tomie <laughs> Nami. But it can also, it could also be because of the videotape that Hideki Tomie Nami through Sadako means. Wow. Wow. I love it. Love I, it. I, I'm working on the unified theory of all these universes. My uh, nerd senses are tingling. I know, I know. <laughs> all right, like, all right, how do we get Kayako? Uh, uh, we'll, we'll work on it. Uh, it's there. It's there. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, well, see what I did there? It's the, <laughs> it, it, it's the what, uh, six degrees of. Uh, <laughs> I was I was going Tomie because we got so much more to work with, but also True. Sadako. Uh, yeah, you're good there because you got Kayako and you got all the Sadako 3D stuff, and that's way more Tomie. Um. Anyway, <laughs> if there's anyone left listening after that deep dive, oh, we're gaining listeners. I can tell. Yeah, you can you can smell it. Mm. Um. So yeah, that's all right. So and then the movie ends, and that's it. And then Evil Dead Trap Two happens, and it's nothing like anything that happened in the first one, really. No, no. So, <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that right now. We're, we 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 must decipher the reason that someone should or should not see Evil Dead Trap. I I I will argue that yes, if you are a fan of uh, Asian horror films and Japanese horror films in particular I think you owe it to yourself to see Evil Dead Trap and I, I would also say if you like Gialli films this is actually one of the better Gialli movies in my opinion for about <laughs> nice. 45 minutes and then <laughs> it becomes something else but I yes I think it's a surprisingly significant movie in, in, in the annals but you sir yeah I man it's it's got such an enigmatic beginning. You've got the, the VHS tape being mailed to someone a la, you know, pre-Ringu. And like, uh, like I'm just going to go through all the films that this made me think of. It made me think of Videodrome in that this tape, as uh, Nami's watching this uh, snuff film happen, in particular the um, eyeball sequence, the Fulci eyeball sequence, it changes her like she becomes obsessed especially in making terrible decisions like you pointed out of dragging her friends slash co-workers to their you know doom or dooms yes <laughs> and uh i, I just uh, like you're gonna get your new york ripper style violence you're gonna get your uh which is also fulci of course uh you're gonna get your zombie style violence with the eye piercing and Suspiria and Suspiria, but also a dash of Suspiria on top. We've got maggots coming <laughs> from the ceiling. We got shit exploding for no reason. We got, um, crazy bonkers, goblin-esque music. The lighting is wild. And then just for the hell of it, this movie references like two other, um, Argento films, which I think, were like Deep Red and Opera. Oh, and what the hell, Phenomena as well. Just throw it all in there. So 
if this director hadn't seen those films, then I'm thinking that the dude who did the the production design, who's uh, Yuji Hasha, uh, excuse me, Yuji Hayashida. This is the guy who worked on Entrails of a Virgin. Uh, he worked on Spiral or Uzumaki and Aragami and Kishern and Big Man Japan, etc. Just crazy, crazy, craziness. Uh, so, yes, watch this movie with the condition that uh, we're very sorry about the rape scene. Uh, Bo and I personally did not film it. Nope. And we did not enjoy it, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, I mean, was I aroused? Mm. Sure. Uh, did I feel good about it? No. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> no, it, 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 it is the thing. Like, you can almost forgive the first sex scene. Of course. Yeah, it's it's par, it's par for the course in a slasher. Right. It's uh, It goes a little further, but fine. <laughs> but the rape scene... And not just because it's a rape scene. It's the conversation, at the risk of repeating myself, it's the fact that they're holding a semi-reasonable conversation during the rape. Yeah. That somehow drains it of its awfulness or something. And it it's it's really disturbing. But if if you can get around that scene, and, and if you can't, again, like you said, fair warning, that scene exists in the movie and it is not... Uh, it is not the most graphic rape scene you'll ever see. We're not talking, you know, uh, Monica Bellucci and Irreversible or anything. Um, which is, oh God, now that I've said it, I, I got a shower. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's, oh, that, that movie is hard to watch. Um, but yeah, it's it's still graphic enough. And if that if that is a thing that is a deal breaker in a movie, then, you know, please know it is there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is such a weird kind of snowflake in that it is, yes, it's a Japanese film, but it is the most jolly Japanese film that ever got made. And I, like you said, I, I, I'm not sure if it's, it goes to production design. I think a Kate is full of shit. <laughs> um, because you would have to have you know, conspirators in the lighting department and DP as well uh, yes. that were all conspiring against Decada and just be like, he doesn't know it, but he's making an Argento movie. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of the actresses then w went on uh, as Akeda himself did to go back to pink films. And uh, he stuck his head back up for uh, evil dead trap three. Um, you know, I guess to, keep the story pure i don't know uh, uh, hmm. <laughs> so, something he definitely did something with that one yeah and and i love the fact that the end of this movie like I, I as absurd as it is and as hard a left turn as the movie makes i dearly love the fact that there's a, a psychic embryo flying around at the end of this movie oh god it's the best it and it looks real veiny. It reminds me of uh, <laughs> in Alien when the egg sac first opens and you see the face hugger for the first time. And it's just, you know, that chicken, uh, raw chicken with the, the veins, uh, the yellow veins on it. And and that's what the embryo looks like. And you, like 
The movie does a not so good job of hiding it. The movie just hides it and doesn't do it in a stylish way. <laughs> it's just like, hey, we're we're gonna poorly light this so you can't see all the detail. Um, <laughs> but it's still creepy enough that it's you know a half-assed baby with psychic powers unleashed on you. I mean, that can't be good. What more could you want? I don't know. I don't know. But I I, I really enjoy it, and I do like the fact that. If, if the ending had been, as I said, uh, the howling ending where the Hideki embryo oh, burst out of her on camera, it would be like the perfect homage film to every horror movie that had ever been made. That would have required lighting it properly. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is not what this movie's about. Uh, but Which is odd because some of the kills are, you know, garishly Fantastic. lit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just when you get to the embryo, things get dicey. Um, and now I can. You said, you said embryo and dicey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I could go for some diced embryo right now. Um, it's yeah, it's kind of a crackpot thing though. It takes, it takes time. <laughs> a lot of people want to rush it. Um, yeah, I mean, any any other thoughts from you? Because again, it it it's so. Like you are you are the perfect person for this be, because of your uh, love of the GLE subgenre of films and man this thing just reeks of it. Yeah. Yeah, the giallo element is very strong and the uh like the journey that this takes you on, I guess is the best way to put or how to put a spin on this movie being too long is that it really does take you on this journey with Nami. Um if anyone out there is familiar with the band Don Caballero, uh, this is the song uh, Tokyo, Please, This is Tokyo, which also doesn't know how to end. Uh, whereas that song is 11 and a half minutes, uh, this film is 100 minutes plus. So, you know, it, use your math rock to Japanese splatter film uh, ratio or uh, formula to figure that out. I almost sounded smart for a second. There. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everyone's got that slide rule handy. <laughs> um, a, key, a key scene, one one scene that we missed that I was like, that blew my mind. Uh, after the first murder and everyone's freaking out, um, Nami and the photographer girl, is it Rhea who's the photographer? No, or Masako. Masako, Mas- yeah. Thank you. They're exploring, looking for anything, any clues and they're taking pictures to light their way in the tunnel and they run into uh, like jail bars, like a, a blocked entrance and they're taking pictures and you can see the killer when they flash and they sort of see a figure but they're not sure so they get closer to it and uh, the killer just reaches out and slices her face, slices Masako's face in the darkness and it's- real good yeah that freaked me out that was really good i love that and yeah um just for the the style and the what the fuck factor check this one out but just so you know it's creepy in a bad way and and the good ways too like it's it's such a a mixed bag uh unfortunately with evil dead trap because there's so much good stuff in it um you know anchored unfortunately by a, a pretty troubling rape scene dead, <laughs> dead center to make sure that you can't really enjoy the first half as much as you want and the second half is just 
uh, tainted with that spice for her. Because you're always ready for it to pop up again, and there are a couple of moments where it's like, oh my god, is she going to get raped now? Is that embryo <laughs> going to rape her? Oh god. Oh. Yeah, it, it just rapes, uh, you know, her stomach. Yeah. From that happens. inside out. I can't speak for Evil Dead Trap 3, uh, but I do kind of recommend Evil Dead Trap 2. It's uh, a totally different beast. Uh, the, the body horror is there, um, but it's more about uh, just a lonely girl who hates pretty girls and goes out killing them. So weirdness in, ensues. And Evil Dead Trap 3 brings Nami back into the mix. Oh, wow. Except nice. she's investigating... Uh, she's investigating a serial killer, I want to say. It's, again, it it's kind of related, but only kind of. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hey, also, uh, a final note uh, before we uh, wrap things up here. Um, uh, I believe, if I'm remembering this right, Kondu, his uh, decapitated head, had the ball gag in it. That made me happy. Um, really? I think so. I may nice. be remembering that wrong, but I, I feel like that... I didn't have it in my notes, but I felt like I, w- I meant to put it in my notes, and I didn't. But uh, I could also be making that up because I really hate Kondu. Because uh, he tries, he he pulls the scare gag not once but twice, and with the teeth, and it <laughs> just knock it off, Kondu. You're you're really approaching Shelley level annoying as far as slasher characters go. Um, Ouch. Yeah, yeah, he's on that list. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, that's Evil Dead Trap, folks. It's part Yali homage and part body horror eruption. A genre mishmash that should be an unrepentant disaster, yet manages somehow to find a unique voice and deliver some genuinely disturbing moments. Uh, thanks again to Richard Glenschmidt for offering his expertise to the proceedings. And I remind you again to check out the show page on legionpodcasts.com. Uh, for links to more from Richard, including uh, the the books that are up there. And also, uh, uh, as a, a part of the final thank you here, Richard, uh, the episode of Hello, This is the Doom Show, where you did readings uh, from... Uh, and that one was readings from Cinema Somnam- Nam- uh, Somnambulist, correct? Yes, okay. and uh, one from Giallo Meltdown as well. Yeah, so listen to that if you, if you feel like uh, you don't want to jump into a book right away that may, may be reading... Reading ain't your thing. Sometimes it's hard. Like those words are like a puzzle. Sometimes, uh, then give it a listen, and maybe that'll uh, whet your appetite for more. Uh, it's really good. It's a, it's a really fun show. Um, for hero hero go show stuff, you can email me with uh, comments, questions, and suggestions at uh, hero hero at legionpodcasts dot com. Uh, you can find us over on Facebook at uh, facebook dot com forward slash groups slash hero hero go show uh where we you know talk about the movies uh that, w- that we do on the show as well as uh some music and whatnot it's uh, pretty fun and uh finally if you uh, are listening to the show on itunes if you would uh leave us a rating review and uh if you have someone uh in your life who is a fan of horror movies but maybe doesn't know uh so much about the asian horror films uh point them in our direction we'll learn them up real good uh which is a sign of a good uh educator is to to tell you that we're going to learn you up good. Um, So, uh, one last time, thank you, Richard, so much for being here. 
And well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, sir. Uh, and we'll be back together uh, to do more Tomie stuff in the not too distant future yes, as well, because yes. I mean, we have a problem clearly. Um, <laughs> Only like what? Six more to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I figured that, you know, that's three more <laughs> bonus episodes of just Tomie not wanting to be buried and, and busting out of people. Uh, yes. And that's fine by me. I, I love all of it. Uh, so folks, we will be back in one week with another film that dares to ask the question, are you connected to yourself? The answer next time on Hero Hero Go Show. And now, as much such most as I can legally play for you. Good night. Since day, I'm not going to